0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. Happy Friday. We have made it through the toughest week of the year if you are a news junkie like me. And this weekend, the cooler weather gets to come in and we can all enjoy that. Uh, I hope that I see some of y'all in Port Barry tomorrow. Port Barry, the Cracklin Festival is going on tomorrow. Uh, my daughter's dance school is in the parade, so we go every year. And then I've got a bunch of family going in, and it's always fun to just walk around the fairgrounds. Uh, the kids love the rides. We like sampling the different cracklands. Uh, it's it's a it's a good day, and it'll be the weather should be nice if that rain doesn't stay too long or, or overnight, early in the morning. Then uh, then the campgrounds, the, the, the fairgrounds won't be too muddy. We've we've had that a few of the last uh, a couple of the last few years. Uh, the campgrounds have been kind of muddy, but it's otherwise been a a great event. Always love going to the Cracklin Festival in Port Berry. Anyway, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the program, I'm going to take, since it is Friday and it is my show, I'm going to take the beginning of the show and go a completely different route than what you may be expecting. Because today is actually a very sad day in internet, or not internet, but uh, entertainment culture, and in particular, nerd comic book culture. Kevin Conroy passed away today, and if you don't know that name, you know Kevin Conroy as probably the most iconic voice of Batman since the 1990s. In the early 90s, Warner Brothers uh, put out. Batman the Animated Series. It was like a staple of Saturday morning cartoons from the 90s. And Kevin Conroy was Batman. Now, around the same time, of course, we'd, we'd had uh, uh, Tim Burton's Batman. And before that, we'd had, you know, or a long time before that, we'd had Adam West's Batman. So that's really all anybody knew of Batman at that point. And then the animated series comes through and you have uh, you have Kevin Conroy with this uh, with this deep and dark voice that really adds almost like a film noir aspect to Batman. Gotham gets definitely repainted as a, a dark and gritty city, not the dark cartoonish city of the live action movie, kind of ironically, but like this dark and gritty place with a guy dressed up as a bat who's fighting crime, particularly taking on the costumed villains and the mafia taking on the mob. And his voice was an iconic part of that. There were, uh, that show ran for years. It spun off into a justice league series two justice league animated series, a bunch of animated movies. And uh, more recently, uh, uh, an animated version of a classic story called the killing joke. Uh, and uh, the Arkham Asylum games that came out, and I, I get that this is not at all related to what you normally tune into the show for, but but uh, I figured if there was one person calling in, it would be John. John, I'll get to you in just a second. But uh, the thing, the, the reason I bring this up is that every once in a while there is somebody that has a huge cultural impact, but not from the uh, not from the Typical angle that you'd expect. And Kevin Conroy, there's more than one generation that when they think of Batman, they think of that animated Batman or the video game version of Batman, and they hear Kevin Conroy's voice. And it's what helped propel Batman from one of those uh, comic book properties into the mainstream. You didn't really have, you know, once the Adam West series was kind of done away with, Everybody only thought of that campy, comical Batman, and and unless you went into the comics, you didn't see much of an alternative. Then came the kind of campy but dark Tim Burton, and then you had this this film noir gritty Batman animated series that spun off into its own thing, introduced uh, completely new aspects of culture. The very popular Harley Quinn character that's in comic book movies now was born from that animated series, and... It was Conroy's portrayal of Batman that helped cement that. Uh, you know, you can't have Batman as we know him today without Kevin Conroy. Just like you can't have the Joker's we have him today without Mark Hamill, the Star Wars actor who played uh, Luke Skywalker. But I wanted to start out the show by bringing that up because is a huge part of my childhood, huge staple of of entertainment culture as we know it, uh, comic book movies as we know them. Uh really, you can find the basis of a lot of the comic book movies of now starting with these animated series that came out in the 90s, X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Justice League into the 2000s and how they grew, helped cement them in culture and it really kind of started with this series. All right. Before we go to our first break, let's get on the phone lines. John, welcome to the show. How are you today, man? Hey, what's going on,
1: man? I'm uh, just getting off work and just turned on the radio to hear the news you just said. I had no idea, um, and I feel just like you about it. I feel like Kevin Conroy made to be the definitive Batman that we come to know today. He's the one I think about when I, I think about Batman. And I got to tell you, Bruce Tim, I think he's the producer or the director of that mm-hmm. series. Yeah, he did a great job. Um, ironically, his first name Bruce, but anyway. Um, I would say to anybody if who, if they're not familiar with that version of Batman and they know they don't have the time to go back and watch the series, at least watch the movie, The Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, because that does a great justice. It's from that
0: that series, and it's uh, it's Kevin Conroy at his best, I think. It's Kevin Conroy at his best. It's Mark Hamlet at his best. I mean, it's, it's probably the most emotional telling of that animated universe of of part of what makes Batman such an emotionally closed off character. It kind of gives a little bit of an alternate take on the Joker's origin. Just a, that, that one is probably the most famous of the animated Batman movies. There's several great ones from that era, but I think that is the most famous one.
1: Yeah. I have to agree with you, man. And uh, Mark Hamill as well. The yeah. Joker in my
0: book. oh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there's, there's not many people who have given us as, as iconic, um, a a definition of what the Joker is than, than Mark Hamill. Although we've had good portrayals, you know, we've had good portrayals of Batman, good portrayals of the Joker. But when it comes to just like you close your eyes, you see the character in your head, and you hear the voice. Those are the two voices that you hear.
1: Absolutely, and it also put a quick spin on the uh, the show in terms of the the time era that it was that it, that the setting took place in was something around. It felt like almost the twenties, like yeah. the roaring twenties. You
0: know, it did, it did have like that a big feel, crazy I... almost. Yeah, because uh, I mean the portrayal of the mob with the Tommy guns and everything like that, and the suits—I mean, like you—you had that classic kind of mob mobster feel to it whenever he was taking on those. And then even you know characters like the Joker dressed that way as well, and Two Face was in that nice uh, split color suit, and, and, and it did very much have that feel to it. Yep. Well, thank you, man, for uh, for bringing that up and uh, give and paying him a little homage, man. That was good. Thank you very much. All right. Let's go ahead and take our first break of the day. When we get back, let's get into the politics of the day. Lots to go over. Going to try to wind down the week, but there is some serious news to talk about stuff. I avoided yesterday because I was just kind of done with all the the national stuff. But we'll take this break when we come back. First, let's go to Georgia. Let's kind of give you the lay of the land there. And, of course, your calls as well. Two, three, two, 1542. Your messages on the KPL app chat. Uh, if you hit the little chat button in the app, send a message our way. We'll respond to those as well. Thank you, guys. We'll be back in just a moment here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. All right, let's look at the outstanding Senate races right now. Uh, we've got two that are undecided, one that's going to a runoff. Let's go to the undecideds first. Uh, my buddy, Neil Stevens, who used to work with me at red state, uh, he has been looking at the data right now. Uh, I w I'm sorry. I would kind of count Blake masters out of this point. Blake masters needs basically to win 60% of the remaining ballots, which he, uh, has, uh, current, I mean, as, as the votes have been coming in since election day, he's been winning about 45% of the outstanding ballot. Uh, so he needs to really overperform. There's a there's a pathway there, but it's looking harder and harder to get to. On the flip side of that, in Nevada, Catherine Cortez-Masto would need to win about fifty-eight percent of what's outstanding, and she's been at about forty-eight percent up until now. So it looks like it still looks like Adam Laxalt is is fairly likely going to win this one in Nevada, but Blake Masters might be uh down for the count but we will see that is still uh that is still uh i think a few days away which what i'm i'm not one and, and you guys have listened to me and some of y'all have berated me for it i'm not one for the stolen election stuff never have been there's been a lot of i i think there have been a lot of things that people have latched on to that are not necessarily uh truthful or anything like that but I fully understand why people don't trust the process anymore. The entire rest of the developed or even developing countries can have elections and know the outcome in a day. And we can't, we are one of the most developed. We are, uh, incredibly efficient at a lot of different things, but apparently we can't hold an election to one day. And that's absurd. Uh, the, the election season is, uh, mind bogglingly stupid. We need an election day and that's it. Now I understand the need for mail-in ballots for those who might be overseas, especially, uh, those in, in the armed services, but for everybody else, We need to keep elections to a day and we need to have stricter rules on if any outstanding ballot by mail comes in, what is the proper cutoff time there? Because this is just patently ridiculous. And it really, I, again, I don't buy the stolen stuff, but I can see how easy it is to get into it because of how long it takes and how things look. And when we have just corrupt and inept people who are in charge of these systems time after time they keep making mistake after mistake and they get these high profile headlines about what all is going on there it's easy to see how people can extrapolate that to a full state or even a full country for a stolen election if you want people to trust the process you need to make the process trustworthy but anyway we're still waiting on those now for the race it has been determined to run off in Georgia Uh, There is some news coming out there as well, and I want to spend some time on that. I'm going to say a name that will cause a few of you to convulse because you don't like the name, and in fact, I'm keeping a healthy eye out for Mark just in case he loses it as well, because Mitch McConnell is part of the story in Georgia now. Mitch McConnell and his Senate leadership fund, which spent over two hundred and fifty million dollars trying to get Republicans elected and reelected across the country. They're now turning their attention to Georgia. You win in Georgia. You have at the very least a 50 50 split. If Nevada goes the Republicans way, then you have a. um, Then you have a 51 49 split in the Republicans favor. So Mitch McConnell and his Senate leadership fund are very, uh, very much in on trying to get this set up and going and trying to get Herschel Walker across the finish line. Now, here's what you need to know. Under normal election rules, state campaigns cannot mingle and get involved with federal campaigns. Brian Kemp has one of the best ground operations in the country. That's what helped propel him to a dominant victory on Tuesday. He absolutely crushed it. I mean, there, there was never any chance for Stacey Abrams anyway, but I mean, he absolutely crushed it in terms of getting out the vote and getting the turnout and everything. He has now basically signed an agreement to turn over his entire team now that he's done running to the Senate Leadership Fund and their on the ground operations in Georgia. And so the Senate Leadership Fund will be putting out a ground game in Georgia. This is very important. Normally, the Senate Leadership Fund puts in money for ads and things like that, they don't do on the ground operations. They are now funding a get out the vote effort on the ground. Just two years ago, Republicans lost the Senate majority because Republicans did not turn out in the runoffs. Because of everything that happened in 2020, the Republican leadership, uh, Donald Trump, the uh, Republican Party leadership in Georgia, everybody who was signed on to all the 2020 stuff basically said they stole the vote once, they'll do it again. And you had tens of thousands of Republican voters who stayed home. And so the two Senate seats went to the Democrats in Georgia. The Senate Leadership Fund is making sure that doesn't happen. So they are going to use their money and the ground game that Brian Kemp built up to get out the vote in Georgia. So that's what you're looking at as far as Herschel Walker goes. Now, what are Herschel Walker's chances? Normally in Georgia, Republicans do well in runoffs. And you kind of see that across the board, especially across the South, off elections, Democrats really don't turn out near as much. Low Turnout is lower across, you know, across all, every group, but there are demographic groups that lean Democratic that don't turn out to vote in runoffs. In 20, well, I say 2020, January of 2021, Republicans didn't show up, Democrats did, so it gave the Democrats two Senate seats. The Republicans are going to make sure that doesn't happen this time, so they need to get out the vote for their candidate. There is a problem. And the problem is candidate quality. Herschel Walker didn't he, he ran several points behind Brian Kemp. The ground game will be key. You need to get people excited to go out and vote and make sure that your turnout is higher then the Democrats turn out if you're a Republican, but you also need to get your people excited for the candidate. You had so much that came out amplified by the national media, but you also have a lot of personal flaws that Herschel Walker has that the voters were really very wary on in particular Republican women, not exactly as comfortable with Walker. Okay. So they just left that part of the ballot blank, or they may have crossed over on the vote, whatever it was. They did not want to vote for Walker as much as they wanted to vote for Brian Kemp. So now the Republicans have two objectives. Get out the vote and generate excitement for Herschel Walker, which is a tough thing to do in this runoff, particularly given how Tuesday went when the wave that was supposed to be there in several parts of the country didn't materialize. It was great for Brian Kemp and other statewide elected officials at the state level But not so great for Herschel Walker. They have to figure that out. They have to fine tune that. The problem, though, is the fact that Donald Trump is attacking everything that moves. If it's Republican and not on his side, you can expect that Donald Trump will be attacking Mitch McConnell. You can expect that he will attack Brian Kemp because he still blames Brian Kemp for 2020. He spent more money against Kemp than he did even against Liz Cheney. That's a problem. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we've got three amendments on the ballot. Let's talk about them here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96 Why did I choose that bumper? That just sounds way too kind of imposing. Cashmere does. But anyway, it's a good song. Um it it just it, it feels very intense and serious for for how uh how I, how this show typically goes. But anyway, two, three, two, 1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. So at the risk of contradicting myself, unfortunately, there are constitutional amendments on the ballot that I support. First of all, 11 constitutional amendments in a single election cycle is frankly obscene and we should do better. The first eight, I was comfortable voting against all of them. They, they, were, they were nuts. They served no purpose in any of our lives in any serious way. Um, you could make the case for the one about, uh, about uh, the, the one about being charged when something was broken that the city or the, the local municipality had to fix. But other than that, and I I still voted against, I voted against all of them. They, They were all done. They should be laws that we vote on and our legislature works on, not something that's put up before us to permanently put into a state constitution. That's not what a constitution's for. What a constitution is for, however, is for things like what's on the ballot now, which it boggles the mind that the three items for the constitutional amendments were put on the ballot for the election, nobody's going to show up. For no, not many people are going to go out and vote in this election in December. I mean, thank God they didn't schedule the. Thank God the election wasn't scheduled on the first weekend of December, which is you know when huge portions of of Louisiana will go to Natchitoches for the Christmas festival. Everybody in Natchitoches, you won't have like any votes on that day. But no, it's the next weekend. But these three amendments are worth voting on and worth voting for. And they're put on the day where there's going to be little to no turnout. I think it's probably on purpose because, dear God, these amendments actually help with government accountability. That's why they were shoved to the side. Amendment 1 on the ballot, do you support an amendment to provide that no person who is not a citizen of the United States shall be allowed to register and vote in the state? In other words, if you vote for it, if a person is not a United States citizen, they don't get to vote. Currently, it's just if you are a person, if you are a Louisiana citizen, you live in Louisiana, you can vote. There is a push across the country. To tighten up and say, if you are a United States citizen, then you can vote. Otherwise, not. And I've got no problems with that. People who are United States citizens can take part in the United States process. There is probably a philosophical, moral, ethical argument, whatever you want to call it, for those who live here and have to abide by the laws but have not made it through the citizenship process yet, and I'm willing to have those debates. But in general... Voting in American elections should be for United States citizens. All for that amendment. Amendment two, Senate confirmation of Civil Service Commission members. A vote for would require Louisiana Senate confirmation of the governor's appointees to the state Civil Service Commission. Why isn't this a thing for every government appointment, for every governor's appointment? Every time the governor appoints somebody, it should have to go through the legislative branch for for confirmation. Why say that we have separate branches of government if they don't have checks and balances on each other? Why should the executive branch in the state of Louisiana have as much power as it does? Yes, I want a Senate that could block a Republican governor's uh, nominees. Absolutely. I want there to be checks and balances on the powers of the different branches of state government, just like on the federal level. Amendment 3, Senate confirmation of the State Police Commission members. uh, Vote 4 would require the Louisiana Senate confirmation of the governor's appointees to the State Police Commission. Yes. Yes. Especially considering the state police have not, you know, at the, at the highest levels have not had a great track record. When one of the commissioners had to step down because they're being investigated for, uh, for some fraudulent payroll activity in New Orleans. But even beyond that, it should just be a given that a governor who makes appointments to state commissions needs... Their appointees to be approved by a separate branch of government. There needs to be a check on that power so you can't just stack a commission with whoever you want and they can do whatever you want. If it's part of the state government, it needs approval by more than one branch of the state. That should be a given. And it's infuriating that those types of amendments are the ones that are stuck off to the side for a December election that one-third of the people who showed up on Tuesday will show up for on a Saturday in December. There's no reason that we shouldn't have this at the heart of one of the most impassioned election cycles we've had. It's 45% of Louisiana voters show up to the polls. Yeah, we could have had more. We should have had more. But 45% of the voters having a say on what state, uh, what state branches can have checks and balances on the other, that should be on that one instead of the one that 15% of the voters will show up for. If that. There's a few runoffs and there's three amendments on the ballot. Who's showing up for those? I'm not justifying, and I think everybody should show up to vote on, on, what is it, December 8th? December 8th or December 10th? One of those. What is, what is the old desktop? The 10th. the 10th. Saturday the 10th. Everybody should go out to vote on Saturday, December 10th. You absolutely should, especially if these three amendments are on the ballot. You should go out and vote for those. Why? Because those are things that actually need to go in a constitution. Why they weren't part of the Constitution originally is just a huge oversight on our part as a state. We know that part of the checks and balances process on the federal level is that the legislative branch in Washington, D.C., does have the ability to go back and say, uh uh, to a nominee of the executive. We should be doing that at the state level for every state board, every commission that the governor has appointees on, they should have to be confirmed. And it's ridiculous that we don't. And it's ridiculous that they would shove this off to the side and try to hide it in plain sight. That's a failure of the legislative branch right there to take something that makes sense, that is the right thing to do, and put it in the position where it's least likely to have approval. Those three amendments should have been front and center, Amendments 1, 2, and 3, on Tuesday, not December 10th. What a strange, strange way that we govern ourselves. Very, very just irresponsible. This is what makes sense. The governor of the state of Louisiana makes appointments. Those appointments should be confirmed by the legislative branch. I don't care if you think John Bell Edwards deserves all of his appointees to go through. I don't care if you thought Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or any other president felt uh, th- that their nominee should just automatically go through. That's not how the system works because you don't have a god king in charge of the executive branch. You have a branch. That is co-equal to the other branches. Civics 101. Mark, if I said anything out of line? Yeah. This is how it should be. This is why the system works the way it does at the federal level. Why are we not doing that at the state level? Civics 101. Come on, y'all. Speaking of Civics 101, here's something that I relearn every time there's, a, uh, there's an election cycle for the House of Representatives. Do you know that the, House, that the House Speaker doesn't have to be a member of Congress? It's true. The House can vote on anybody. They can vote on anybody to be the Speaker. Now, as per tradition, they choose one of their own, the leader of their party. I want to run for Speaker of the House. I think I can do better than Nancy. I think I can do a lot better than McCarthy. McCarthy, I think is actually in trouble. There is a push to try to find somebody else. I mean, there's a push to try to uh, push uh, to get Mitch McConnell out of the way right now. You've got Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz saying, why in the hell are we having leadership elections when we haven't even picked all of our senators yet? They haven't been seated. If you're going to pick leaders for the next Congress, Let's wait for the next Congress when everybody's seated, when Adam Laxov is potentially coming in, when Herschel Walker is potentially coming in, when Blake Masters, although long shot, is potentially coming in. Let them have a say, too. Why have these leadership elections now? This is stupid. And they're right. Because as much as Mitch McConnell did help, and I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me for saying that, but as much as Mitch McConnell and his Senate leadership fund helped on the election cycle this time and will try to help Herschel Walker in December... The fact of the matter is that Mitch McConnell is not conservative. Mitch McConnell is in it for Mitch McConnell and his power and his ideas. Which, yes, makes him a lot like Trump, just less loud and obnoxious. Let everybody come in before you pick your leaders. Good Lord. But yes, I want to run for Speaker of the House of Representatives. You know what my platform is? My platform is the following. First thing I change, committee assignments. No longer based on party and seniority, all positions will be determined via Chinese Checkers Tournament. That's fair. Next up, omnibus bills? they are no more. Legislation is introduced in bills no larger than 25 pages, and if you want a larger bill, it must be approved through a bipartisan committee made up of civic students. And if the civic students cannot explain what your bill does in every detail, it doesn't happen. We don't need a bunch of lawyers uh, filling up pages with legalese that nobody understands. We damn sure don't need passing to see what's in it. Step three, Eric Swalwell, the Democrat, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican, no longer have Twitter accounts. I think that's fair to all sides. Frankly, I want all of our politicians to get rid of their Twitter accounts. They are just pontificating and dunking on Twitter instead of actually doing constituent services. Get rid of it. Yes, the House needs to take back the power of the purse from the executive branch. But we also need to make sure that the really old people and the insiders are not in charge anymore. I am not as old as they are, and I am not as inside as they are. Vote for me for speaker. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll round out the show. Of course, your calls 232-1542, and of course, your messages through the app chat. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to oh my God. Uh welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk ninety-six point five KPL. 232-1542. I just saw a, a poll question on Twitter so I, I oh my god this is this is actually I think sociopathic behavior is it a reasonable request to order a hot water at a restaurant just a cup of hot water if I ask for water I expect ice water I've never ordered hot water I've never brought like my own tea bag or something uh, to to a restaurant I've never never needed hot water but somebody's just asking is it acceptable and i i i don't think it is i don't think it is and yet 30 23 uh, percent of the people who are who have taken part in this poll have said yes it's acceptable it's reasonable i don't think it is that this bothers me who's ordering hot water at a restaurant i'm sorry i am i'm very easily distracted today uh like I said, 232-1542 if you want to call in be part of the program before we have to go for today. Um, so there, Dave Wasserman, who is with the Cook Political Report, has said that uh, he, sa- he he's famous on Twitter for saying, I've seen enough, and then saying the, the, an election result. He said today that Mark Kelly wins re-election, defeating Blake Masters. Um, like I said earlier... Masters needs probably to win sixty percent of the outstanding vote, and he's been trending in about forty-five percent of the outstanding vote as it's come in. So it looks like the path there is is difficult. Like I said as well though. Like I said as well though, uh it's the flip side for the Democrat in Nevada where it looks like Catherine Cortez Master, the incumbent there is trending behind, needs to win about 60% of the incoming vote and is only winning about 48% of the incoming vote as it's come in. So that's good for Adam Laxalt in Arizona. Uh, For those of you who are concerned about uh, Lauren uh, Bobert in Colorado, I keep wanting to say Bobert, but I don't think that's right uh, because it's not here, but South Louisiana has cursed me with such insights into last names at this point. Um, she was behind. Now looks to be up by a few dozen in that race. Much tougher to see her losing that has not been called yet as well. Uh, I had I've had a few people reach out over the last couple of days, especially after yesterday. I had some people reach out uh, because I talked about the third congressional race here in Louisiana. And I mentioned that one of the reasons that you're not going to be able to take on Clay Higgins in the current climate is that the challengers had no name ID. And I understand that there are a lot of people who are disappointed in Higgins for whatever reason. Uh, Some are upset about the the constituent services. Some are upset about the bringing in of money for hurricane relief and things like that. But there are several people who are still reaching out over the child support claims. And these are people who are Republicans. They 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 say they have voted Republican all the time. But they're still disappointed in that. And that's, like I said yesterday, something that Higgins does need to work on. He needs to work on that to keep this going. Yes, his vote was uh, – he had a big vote. He, he won by a large margin. But – uh But he needs to continue to work on that because incumbency is just uh, is just very difficult to overcome at this point. Man, I I I don't know. This is what's weird about the last few election cycles. Incumbency used to be very difficult to overcome. I said it a lot during this campaign cycle, but this is the third time in a row that we've really seen. Incumbency doesn't matter as much as it used to. It used to it's not the barrier it used to be. People are more willing to change their incumbent, which is extremely interesting and something that we need to pay attention to going forward. And that can put somebody like Clay Higgins in trouble in the future. All right, let's take our weekend break. Be back with you on Monday. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com/slash Joe Cunningham Show. The uh, daily newsletter, daily show notes, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Talk to you guys again soon. Shannon is off sides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.